On July 12, 2023, temperatures in the Iraqi capital of Baghdad reached 49 degrees Celsius, or 120 degrees Fahrenheit. The same temperature was recorded again on July 13th and 14th, and on six other days that month, the thermometer reached highs of 48 degrees Celsius. The lowest peak temperature recorded on any given day in July was 43 degrees Celsius, 109 Fahrenheit. This might sound unbearably hot, but it can get worse. Reports by the UN's Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change warn that extreme heat will likely reach human survivability thresholds in the Middle East by the turn of the century. In other words, swaths of the region will become unlivable in a few decades. As Iraq inches towards this unbearably hot future, its ability to adapt is decreasing year after year. The Iraqi population has been growing while the water supply is dwindling and in most cities, public electricity is already too unreliable to guarantee access to air conditioning for all. This week, how are Iraqi cities being impacted by climate change? Who is most affected by it? What resources do Iraqis have to deal with the increasing heat? And beyond climate change, what factors are fueling climate injustice in the country? I'm Lise Mauvais, and you're listening to The New Arab Voice. On July 26 at noon, I visited one of the largest public hospitals in Erbil, the Rojhalat Hospital. Over the summer, this hospital has received a wide range of emergencies, including patients suffering from heat-related issues. It was 45 degrees that day, and we asked a doctor to tell us how his work is impacted by summer heat waves. Since we are working in an emergency hospital, the cases are like variable, contain different stuff. Some cases are serious, like MI, what we call heart attack. Some cases are stroke. Some cases are more simple, like gastroenteritis, like just mild SOB, like shortness of breath. And we have some cases that are trauma, like for sure car accident, motor vehicle accident. These are mainly the cases that are coming to our emergency. This is Dr. B.R. Zaza, a resident doctor working in the triage area of the hospital. He sees all patients coming to the emergency unit and dispatches them to other doctors and units to receive treatment. Actually, during summer season, like most of the cases are gastroenteritis. Since people are drinking and eating outside, they want to go outside, we have these cases. In winter, like we have more flu-like illness. But there are some cases especially related to the very high heat which is present here in Iraq. Like they come with a presentation of heat stroke. The patient just come with loss of consciousness or decreased level of consciousness, tired when you are touching the patient's body or touching the skin, it's very hot. We are just cooling the patient, give, him, give the patient some cold fluid, and with time he will get better. We also receive some patients like Peshmergas here who are having a very hard training with masks and very tight, heavy clothes. During this training in such like high hot temperature, they are getting same presentation, so we are doing the same management for them too. Heat stroke is one of the most serious heat-related health issues. It occurs when the body isn't able to cool itself down. In a worst-case scenario, death can occur when emergency treatment is not given. 
Dr. Biarzaza says he sees one or two patients with heat stroke on average during his shift, which lasts eight hours. While this is a very small proportion of his load, he believes the true number of victims to be much higher. I believe that most of them might not come even if they develop heat stroke. They are treating them home. When they are not responding to their home treatment, they are coming to hospital. So the number could be much higher than they are coming to hospital. But heat stroke is just one of many medical issues that can arise during a heat wave. Heat can also worsen pre-existing cardiac and respiratory issues, leading to indirect deaths. According to a medical study by the British medical publication The Lancet in April, extreme heat currently kills 2 out of 100,000 people in the MENA region. This regional average is slightly higher in Iraq, where 1,091 people die every year of heat, which is around 2.34 deaths per 100,000 people. Many victims are working-aged men who are most likely to be directly exposed to the sun. Actually, from the cases that we are receiving, most of them they are getting this heat stroke due to direct heat of the sun, not from the heat like that's present just due to hot temperature. And since there is no a close sea, the humidity is not that much. So usually patients that are getting heat stroke are not that much due to humidity. It's more due to the direct effect of the sun. That's why we don't receive much from home. But this dynamic could change in the coming years as Iraq's population ages and the number of elderly people who are physically vulnerable to heat increases. According to the same study in The Lancet, heat-related deaths are set to increase massively overall. By 2081, 123.4 people out of every 100,000 people in the MENA region could die of heat-related issues if global CO2 emissions remain high. If global warming could be limited to 2 degrees, this projected death rate will be cut by 80%. But this is not the track we are on. So, you know, now we are in the summer and temperatures has been really, really high. It's hitting regularly 120 degrees all across the country, specifically in southern parts of Iraq. This is Zainab Shukar, a sociologist and visiting climate fellow at Century International. It's reaching a point where probably just it's the human body cannot keep regulating its temperature uh, under the, these kind of conditions. So it's getting to this dangerous stage. According to researchers, within the Middle East region, death rates are set to increase the most in Iraq, Iran, and the Arabian Peninsula. This is in part due to a deadly combination of heat and humidity in coastal areas. Because a high rate of humidity in the air prevents the human body from cooling itself naturally. To measure this phenomenon, scientists use the wet bulb temperature index, which doesn't just measure heat, but also takes into account humidity, wind speed, and the intensity of sunlight. Research has shown that the body struggles to cool itself at a wet bulb temperature of 31 degrees Celsius. In Iraq, Wet bulb temperatures at 28 degrees Celsius have already been recorded several times this summer, showing that the region is edging to the threshold of human survivability. Temperatures, specifically summer temperatures, are very uh, are a very big problem in the country because it undermines survival of human beings and undermine their ability to not only work or go to school or like so like do things, but also to stay alive. And we have seen um, across uh, different Iraqi cities, specifically in southern Iraq, 
where students cannot go to school. So the schools and the administration is forced to give, you know, days off for students to stay home, to stay indoors. Of course, this has a lot of economic impact, a lot of impact on education, on, um, you know, GDP, et cetera, because you are losing hours and you're losing days because of temperature. And the other big problem is sand and dust storms. Uh, we have seen this year has been slightly better, but in the previous year or so, there has been an increase in the amount or the number of days sand and dust storms hit Iraq. But this is just the tip of the iceberg of climate issues in Iraq. The most pressing issue is probably water shortages, which not only affect people's ability to cool down in the summer, but also have a direct impact on Iraq's food security and health. This is the sound of a tap when the pipes are empty. Water shortages are frequent in many neighborhoods of Erbil, the capital of the autonomous Kurdistan region of Iraq. In many neighborhoods, water doesn't flow through the city's pipes all day long. Instead, water is pumped once a day or every other day to houses. Local residents then pump it into water tanks and store it until the next delivery. No, I think they're, they're almost empty, I think. Sometimes, the pump runs for nothing because water isn't delivered at all to the city's pipes. No, they're very empty. The tanks are very empty. So uh, I think we'll need a, a water truck to come in and uh, fill the, the tanks for us. Tamar Badawi lives in a relatively well-off neighborhood of Erbil, but he regularly experiences water shortages. When the water runs out for too long, he has to call one of the private water trucks driving around the city to refill his tank, which can hold around two cubic meters of water. So it happens maybe once every two weeks. Uh, once a week, it depends on, the, on how much water comes to us through the government side. So yeah, yeah, sometimes one week, sometimes two weeks. And it's not very cheap because it also costs us like around 25,000 dinar or 30,000. So uh, if we do it every one or two weeks, then we end up maybe paying uh, around maybe less than $100 a month. But that's if it's very extreme. But otherwise, uh, maybe it will cost us like uh, $40, $50 a month. According to a 2018 survey, Nearly 90% of Kurdistan's population earns less than $850 a month. An average Kurdish family that buys a truck of water every week would be spending around 8% of its income on water. But in poorer neighborhoods, the situation is worse. 40% of Kurdistan's population earns less than $300 a month, and these people can't afford to refill their tanks every week. In Daratu, a working-class suburb of Erbil that is home to many families of migrants and displaced people from other parts of Iraq, water and electricity shortages combine, making life very difficult for residents like Meriwan Yasin, who runs a small supermarket. Look at me. I'm sweating a lot. The cooler isn't enough. But what can I do? There's no electricity. Here, I don't have huge issues with water because the borehole that supplies my neighborhood is pretty close by. But the alley next to my shop, they have huge issues with water. I see that families are buying trucked water every day. The well has been out of service four times this summer. 
Three of them were because the water ran out and we had to dig deeper to get the water. Once, it was because the pump was broken. Due to the lack of reliable public electricity, most Iraqis don't have access to air conditioning. Instead, they use air coolers, locally known as mubarida, which require several liters of water per day to function. Due to the lack of water, Aziz Nuri, a resident of Daratu, has to ration the water he uses in summer if he wants to cool his house. We only have enough water and electricity to survive. Public electricity only works for three or four hours a day. That's it. We rely mostly on the neighborhood generator. But as you know, it's not good. We can't use it to power air conditioning. And we don't have enough water. We save water every way we can. We shower less, we wash the car less. Water is supposed to come every other day, but often we have to use water trucks. We have one neighborhood generator. Several people share it on the same street. It's enough to power these two streets and that's it. But it's not enough to have power all day long. Sometimes the generator doesn't work and we have an outage for an hour or two. Because of the heat, the generator is struggling and everyone uses a lot of electricity at the same time. The factors driving Iraq's recurring water shortages vary from neighborhood to neighborhood, from city to city. In Daratu, they are linked to chronic overpumping, as many of the wells that were drilled to supply Erbil's 2 million residents run out. The level of aquifers under the city has dropped by a staggering 500 meters over the past 20 years, and some wells are now pumping water 700 meters below ground. And while these underground resources dwindle, major rivers running through Iraq are also drying up. The state of our rivers in this country, when I was a child, it was different. When I came back to the country, totally was shocking, big shock for me. Until now, it's been 13 years, probably 10 times getting worse. This is Nabil Musa, the founder of Water Keepers Iraq, a global network of activists advocating on behalf of the world's rivers. Water Keepers, basically, we are the voice for the river. Rivers vulnerable cannot shout for itself, and we are the voice for the river. We are 300, more than 352 water keepers around the world, more than 45 countries we cover. Musa says one of the main factors behind the slow death of Iraqi rivers is bad regional water politics. For example, Turkey, they had a plan in 1950s, for example, the GAP project is holding 22 dams, huge dams, big dams, like destructive dams. Um, which we call a blood clot in your blood circulation. So some of those dams has been finished recently and that it has made a big, huge impact on our waterways. But Iraq's own management failures are also to blame. And of course, if you look at the state of the country, I'm witness of how actually the water management, how crap it is. We don't have any sewage facility treatment plants for any cities in this country. Most of the sewage facility treatment plants for filtering our heavy waters and sewage has been destroyed because of war and never been actually fixed. We use river for dumping anything, like a dumping ground, basically, uh, in the entire Iraq. We need a proper raising awareness in our education systems. His analysis is shared by others. Cannot just blame climate change and uh, neighbors. Yes, Turkey and Iran. They are really practicing, you know, bad water policies in the region. 
this is true, but also we have to talk about our internal management of water. So until now, until now, we don't have, for example, you know, how to reuse water for irrigation, for industry, for anything. Khaled Suleiman is a Kurdish Iraqi environmental journalist. He's been covering the impact of climate change in Iraq for nearly 15 years, has written a book on water issues in Iraq, and has trained dozens of journalists in the region to report on the environment. When I started to talk about, to write about environmental issues, so people, regular people, regular audience, even journalists, are not interested to environmental topics. But now I see how uh, journalists from Iraq, I see, you know, especially female journalists. So this is for me a, a, a very uh, remarkable progress. Uh, female journalists from Basra, from other cities in south of Iraq, from Iraq, uh, Baghdad, the capital, and also from Kurdistan, I see a lot of activists, women activists, and also female journalists, they are started to talk about climate change, the impact of climate change on the society in Iraq, and also about environmental degradation. In recent years, the impact of climate change on Iraqi society is coming into increasing focus, mainly because of the water crisis. But for Suleiman, this issue cannot be decoupled from issues of infrastructure, politics, and the management of natural resources. In Iraq, when we t now everybody starts to talk about climate change, but we 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 have pre-existing obstacles, challenges in Iraq. Iraq is suffering from poor management of natural resources. When I say natural resources, I mean precisely, I mean water, soil and the earth, three essential elements of our life. The, there is a Ministry of, uh, of Environment in Iraq, but this ministry has not any influence on, what, on environmental policy in Iraq. Both government, federal government and regional government, Iraqi Kurdistan, uh, they are just focusing on, on uh, oil industry. For them, environmental uh, issues they don't believe there is a big threat against our existence. They are just waiting. Poor management, corruption, the breakdown of infrastructure are all to blame for the catastrophic levels of pollution in Iraqi rivers. In all parts of Iraq, authorities have failed to protect existing water resources. There is a lot of dumping, illegal dumping happening in the river, sometimes from hospitals, from different factories and so on. So it's a question of quality, question of quantity. That is probably the very major issue the country is facing. Zainab Shukar again. The problem is a lot of these factories and hospitals and so on are owned by the state. So the state itself is not holding itself accountable when it comes to dumping in the water. Water pollution has reached such a critical level that it has sparked many protests around Iraq. In 2018, violent protests rocked the southern city of Basra after 118,000 people were hospitalized for waterborne illnesses linked to contaminated water. Other protests erupted in Iraqi Kurdistan this spring and summer 
to denounce water shortages in Erbil and massive water pollution in Darbanikhan Lake. But authorities are largely unresponsive to the country's environmental issues. The problem is oftentimes it's not climate that's being acknowledged, it's water, just like water scarcity, because that's the more obvious problem. Temperature, sand and the storms, pollution, and how all these things are connected to water scarcity, they're not being discussed as a collective. As living conditions worsen in central and southern Iraq, in part due to environmental degradation, Erbil and the Kurdistan region in the north of the country are becoming increasingly attractive. Some of the rural communities displaced by political violence, instability, unemployment or drought are drawn to northern Iraq. So are wealthy elites who are looking for better living standards. Zainab Shuka. For example, we know in northern Iraq, the situation is slightly better compared to central and southern Iraq because there's slightly more sources of water. Um, there is usually high precipitation levels. They are closer to water resources and water sources. So the water tends to be slightly cleaner. But this strategy has its limits. The influx of upper middle class and wealthy families are driving a construction boom in Erbil. But while lavish villas, golf courses, and artificial lagoons are being built, many areas in the city still lack a stable water supply. Researchers and activists alike warn that this inequality in access to water will eventually catch up to all Iraqis. All Iraqis are impacted. Everybody is impacted unless you are in the very upper position. And even then, even if you are a polished position, if you are a holder of power in the country, in many ways your power is impacted as well because of the destabilizing impact climate change is having on society. Final words to Nabil Musa. Right now, we, we, we don't see it as a serious crisis. People, they don't think this is going to get worse and worse and worse. But I can see, I can smell people, they come upstream, they buy lands, they think, oh, this is one of the solution from south. I, I already have a friends, they all, you know, bought land in here. They think this is one of the solution. People from downstream, basically they come in toward upstream. And when upstream we run out of water, what are we going to do? This episode of The New Arab Voice was written by me, Liz Move, and produced by Hugo Goodrich. Our theme music was by Omar Phil. The New Arab Voice is heading off for a few weeks, but we'll be back with a brand new batch of stories shortly. Until then, you can find all our previous episodes on all major podcast platforms. You can also check out our Instagram page and Twitter account, both at The New Arab Voice, for additional content. We also have a weekly newsletter, which you can sign up for. Find the link in the show notes. You can subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And you can also rate and review, which helps us spread the word. Don't forget to follow The New Arab on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram for all the latest news, analysis and opinion from the region. (laughs) 